0: Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hello, everyone. My name is Chelsea Side, and I'm your host for Leveling Up. Today, I have with me Sunita Arora, joining us from GE Digital. Sunita is a learning and development strategist with over 20 years of experience working with Fortune 500 companies and Silicon Valley startups. Today, she is the head of learning and development at GE Digital. Sunita, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. We'd love to hear, you know, your background is so impressive and we've been discussing this. I'd love to just hear a little bit more from you about your experience and kind of how you ended up in HR and talent development.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. And when I had started my career, I was in operations, operations side of business. And I was undergoing a training program that was a management training program. And the training manager back then used to do some workshops. And I was extremely impressed by the facilitation, the program design, and it fascinated me so much that I decided to to give learning and development a try. And when I got into L&D, I loved it. So I love all things L&D. I love learning strategy. I love learning technology. I love designing programs. I love coaching facilitation. So all things L&D. I love that, you know, we are able to develop people's capabilities, enable them and help them to grow in their uh, skills and careers. So that's what I love about L&D.
0: Love the passion. It's so, it's so clear (laughs) from your experience. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. We we talked there, are so many companies looking to do this, especially in today's climate and everything going Mm -hmm. on with talent development. So what would be your first piece of advice? How can companies even begin to prioritize what is needed with this training?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because this is where I, I try to spend most of my time when I take up a project. And I've done this kind of work, which is you know whether as a freelancer or inside a company, it's always important to understand that step one is to, to understand what's the business need. What is it that the the business needs, right? So it all starts there. And for that, to to assess those needs, it's important to understand where is the business headed, what are the business goals, and how can LED support those goals. And I can give you an example because uh, you know this is this is uh, an example that I I loved working on this project, and this was here in the Silicon Valley with a startup. So I worked with the chief revenue officer directly and his ask was very clear. He wanted his people leaders to be good coaches, to be good at giving and receiving feedback. He basically wanted his people leaders to have foundational skills, to be able to lead teams and achieve business results. So I I love the clarity that this uh, leader had. And you don't find that very often. The whole point is that what does the business want? And also if you can help them in the process to uncover what the need is and then help them in really gauging the various ways of assessing what is really needed. So, the you know, you could do interviews, surveys, you could look at your engagement surveys, your exit interviews, focus group discussions. So there are several ways of uncovering what the, what the business really needs. See, some businesses like this chief revenue officer had a very clear need, he was very clear what he wanted. And to get a leader like that is, is hard because, you know, someone who comes with such clarity is really a gift. Mm -hmm. And then there are times when, you know, you are approached where you're told that, you know, we have to move the needle. So what do we do? And then you start the uncovering and the needs assessment. So again, you know, my whole point is what is the business need, gauging that need and and getting down to what exactly is the focus area where we want to develop people. So for example, for some businesses that I've worked for, they were very clear that we want to equip our people leaders with operational excellence. And some others said that we want them to have other core foundational skills, like managing a team, planning, giving and receiving feedback, understanding how to percolate the mission and vision of the company down to their teams. So again, you know, it's really the step one is to really understand what's the business need, Mm -hmm. and then prioritizing. And I think we spoke about that when we spoke earlier, earlier last month. So the whole idea is to understand what is the priority need, you know, because we can't boil the ocean. So Mm -hmm. what exactly is that needs more focus now and trying to understand, you know, what the next step, of course, you know, budgets and planning. So we can get to that later. But again, it's really, it Mm -hmm. all begins with business need.
0: Yeah. I think it's so important too, Mm because so many companies will think, oh, we need to develop leadership competencies and we need to train managers in giving feedback and you know we need to do all of these things and instead saying, what does the company need first and then go from mm-hmm. there? It sounds simple, but it's a good reminder, I think, for L&D leaders today. Along those lines, you mentioned you had this leader, which is a great example, and you kind of kid kid about it, right? A leader who has clarity and focus. Right. It is rare. How do you normally approach getting leadership buy-in and how important is that to programs like this? It's very important.
1: It's extremely important. And why I say this is because, you know, if
0: the leadership is
1: bought in, if they invest in learning and developing employees, it gives the kind of importance... That you know an initiative like this deserves. You get their time, energy, focus, it comes out in conversations, it comes out in planning, and it becomes a priority. So it's extremely critical. And how do you garner that? It's one of the biggest challenges that I have seen most l and d professionals struggle with. There's no easy, simple answer because learning and development is an enabling function. It's hard to prove. What is the output? It's easy to notice the expense and the time that goes into it. So the way I have done things in the past is, first of all, again, it goes to what is the business need? How can we turn the needle for the business? What is it going to get us? What what is the expected outcome? So all of these, you know, trying to show them what's the outcome, what's going to be the impact on the business. Again, that impact is really important. Now, I do want to go back and say that, you know, the clearer the need, the clearer the ask and the expectation, I found it easier and better to prove what the impact would be. If there's a vague need, then it's harder to satisfy anyone. So, you know, again, I go back to step one. It's very important. What's the business need? Let's get down to what is expected out of the program. Once we start designing the program or any kind of learning and development initiative or any kind of a... And any end-related project that we do, it's important to understand what is expected, what's the objective and what it can achieve, mm-hmm. you know, because right at the outset, we are, we are setting expectations and we are opening a discussion and we're trying to propose right in the beginning than investing our time, energy, and then coming to a point where the leaders may feel that this has not got us what we wanted. And I can not say that, you know, it hasn't happened with me in the past. I have, I've had my own set of learnings. So the, the, clearer we are at the beginning it's it's helped it's definitely helped
0: it's a great point around measuring impact and roi which Mm -hmm. i think is another super hot topic in this right what is the (laughs) roi of the money we're spending and to your point let's start on clarity of the need and then Mm -hmm. sounds like that would lead to an easier way to track impact that's really interesting Mm what advice, let's say we have a new or we're expanding talent development as a team. What advice would you give to one of these new teams?
1: Yeah, that's again a, a question that I like because it happens a lot many times that we get bombarded with requests. Everyone wants something out of LND. At least <laughs> those are the worlds that I have been in then it's really important to understand what's the size of the company, how many resources we have, which, by the way, usually are not as many. What is our budgeting
0: situation?
1: I gravitate towards understanding how can we prioritize, in fact, how can we ruthlessly prioritize what is really needed, what's critical, what's not as critical right now, what's urgent and important. So, you know, the, it's important to prioritize so that we don't start boiling the ocean, and we are really able to deliver a product which can drive impact, even if it's in one small, teeny part of the company. We drive that impact because in my experience, I have done work like this where we got a need and this was, you know, here at G Digital itself, we had the engineering team come to us and say that, you know, we are looking to develop all, all our people leaders and there's a course set of foundational skills that we'd like them to have. So I worked with our HRBP for the engineering org. And we came up with what are the strategic pillars? What are those expectations of every people leader in engineering? And one is to define that, that this is what is expected out of you. And then we created bite-sized programs to cater to that large population. This was for everyone. It was not exclusively for emerging leaders or for senior leaders. It was for everyone. So we did those bite-sized programs. We invited leaders to come and join and, and give their perspective on certain leadership topics. I worked with business leaders and customized those sessions. And it was a great experience, great project. We got great feedback because there was a need which had come out of engagement service. They had come out of lean initiatives that were taking. So there's something mm-hmm. called uh, Genba. So in the engineering org, they had found out by going to Genba, which is you know, the scene the of action and found out that there was a need to develop foundational skills. And then we addressed that need, exactly that need. Mm -hmm. So it was a successful mini-initiative, and then it turned into something bigger. And then what we did was we created a, a framework for all people leaders of the company. So every people leader in the company was given a framework, which we call the Leadership Expectation Development Framework. Now, this framework had four different buckets. It had performance, strategy, And do more. And the whole objective was that every people leader should know in the company that what's expected out of them. So the point I'm trying to make is that what started in one part of the organization and was successful, we actually scaled it and made it at a company-wide level. And that lead framework, we used it for every people leader call that would happen. And the whole objective was that now that we have defined what's the North Star for all our people leaders, we can get into people leader development. Now, see, one of the buckets actually was about growing and developing people. And under that, we had foundational skills, which people should know every people leader should know. So for example, coaching, giving, receiving feedback, delegation, managing your bias, you know, and several other unconscious bias trainings. So defining that North Star, and then helping every people leader understand what's expected, and then working on providing learning resources on that framework was an approach that I, I am a fan of. You know why? Because When we created that framework, we had also invited input from people leaders. So it wasn't just, you know, me reading a few articles and proposing a framework or the team that I worked with that was proposing something. So, yes, we did create the first draft based on the literature that I had read and the inputs that I got from the team that worked on it. And then we took it to the people leaders right from a new manager, a first time manager to a very senior VP. And we said, you know, what do you think about this framework? Let's poke holes. Let's brainstorm. So. It was really uh, helpful to pressure test it because, you know, we got a a flavor of how it's resonating and what are the changes that we should make. So, yeah, we had a few versions of that. We first made multiple iterations and then we had a few versions. It landed really well. It resonated well. So I would say defining what's needed and starting with a north star. However, this was a very sophisticated approach. Not, there's not always as much time to wait and not always as much willingness to define something as elaborate as this one. Uh, so in that case, I would go back to you know, this approach that we had, which was starting small in a part of the organization, doing a kind of a pilot there, tasting success and then and scaling that. So, so these are the approaches that I, I found very useful.
0: I love the idea of a pilot and starting small for success. Like that North Star is so true, right? And then you have an example Mm -hmm. that you can point to (laughs) as you move forward. When you think about ruthless prioritization in that instance, how has that gone for you? Like how do you help companies ruthlessly prioritize their focus? It all comes
1: from having worked in places where there was always discussion around resources and budgets. Some worlds have been in where it was a candy land and I was extremely happy that you know we were adequately staffed, had the kind of resources that we need. And then there are worlds where we had to be very creative and think of how do we come up with a learning product and learning projects by leveraging current resources to the optimal level and also partnering with different teams. So that's where ruthless prioritization really comes in. So I think like in some places, I observe that There was a whole lot of learning initiatives and it was like a buffet system. You can come and eat a whole lot, but it's not really impactful. Is it really driving the impact that we want? Mm -hmm. And in those worlds, in those situations, I feel like it's important to do a fewer things, but do them well. But this is why I say ruthless prioritization becomes even more important when you know that you want to drive impact and you don't have as many resources. If budgets are tight, then even more important. I can give you an example. So at GE, we moved from doing a number of programs to only a fewer focused programs. And I personally like that approach. I like that because, you know, we are not trying to be good at 10 things. We are trying to make sure that we offer three, which address the biggest needs of the company and also focus on what capabilities that we want to develop and we want to do them well. So this is where I feel like ruthless prioritization is going to help align all resources in the right direction and everyone's going in the same direction. So yeah, this is what I feel about ruthless prioritization.
0: Very helpful example. Thank you for sharing that. I love the connection between ruthless prioritization and impact. Thank you. It's interesting. So sometimes ruthless prioritization can sound negative, but the way that you're sharing it, it's like, yeah. no, we have to do it to have a stronger <laughs> impact. It's wonderful. Yeah. So with all the different programs you've designed and delivered, which have you found to be the most effective for managers and emerging leaders?
1: I love all the questions that are asking because they, they're so close to my heart because these <laughs> are the kind of challenges I have faced in my career. Yeah. So the kind of programs that have been successful So I'll say that it depends on whose perspective are you looking at from. If it's a participant, how do they feel about the program versus how do the trainers feel about the program versus how do the leaders feel about the program? I've done a lot of facilitation also in my career, design programs. And in the early part of my career, I used to think, oh yeah, if someone comes out of a workshop feeling great, that's success. Well, now I feel like that's part of the success. For a program to be really successful, we want participants to introspect, to reflect, to make connections with learning and also to stay connected, you know? So it's not like, okay, yeah, you go and attend a workshop. It's a learning vacation. I call it a learning vacation for some workshops or all. Mm-hmm. So you go, you attend that and then you come out and then if you forget, that's, a learning loss that's a dip in the learning and i don't want that to happen mm-hmm. i want that learning to transfer in your day-to-day job and how do you do that so i felt like programs that were more successful were the ones where we had built in nudges i use that because you know i, I say the word nudges because it's important to remind people that you know hey this is what you learned and this is what you can do and some people are great at setting up nudges for themselves So that's another aspect, which is, you know, people need to be using what they're learning. So if you can build in nudges, and I'll give you an example. This is again, you know, here at GE Digital, one of my team members, so she had actually started a campaign, an email campaign that if you are a part of a workshop, whatever you learn based on those learnings, she would create these uh, email campaigns where you would get a reminder email to, to remember about what you'd learned in the workshop two months ago, three months ago, six months ago. So I really liked it. Now, of course, you know, there's more sophisticated technology that's available to do all of this. However, what we had done was very, very useful. And I felt like the experience that this team member had shared with me about doing that was great because people actually read and respond. So this is one small way of creating nudges. And what I really also feel about successful programs is that are people reflecting, are the conversations once they come out of the workshop or in any learning program, are they talking about what they're learning? Are they reflecting about what they're learning? This is how the needle would move. And I'll give you an example. So this was long ago. I'd done a workshop and I told all my participants that, you know, hey, if I meet you at the airport five years from now, would you remember what I had discussed with you? And we made this very interesting game, which is called a paper plane game. So I made them create paper planes. And I said, you know, write the three concepts that you will... You will tell me if you if you were to meet me at the airport. And they all wrote. Fast forward two years, I again went back to do part two of what we had done. And they said, you know, hey, Sunita, we have that paper plane on our desk. Can we still remember what oh, you wow. had said? <laughs> it was so much fun. And I had actually learned about these airport concepts from one of my professors at grad school. So I, I used mm-hmm. that. It's about what people learn, how are they using it? And it's really important to, you know, build systems where they can get into deliberately practicing those skills as well. Very, very important. And that's where I feel like not just the participants of any learning, but their managers have to be equally, if not equally, but, you know, involved to an extent. They need to give the participants an opportunity to practice those skills. In the follow-up conversations that they have, it must show up. So, you know, we, we've had some trainings, like we, we did a training on, uh, you know, having courageous conversations and difficult conversations with team members. We noticed that a lot of managers just shy away from giving uh, constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. Now, we have to do that, right? Because if you don't let your team member know, then it's actually a disservice, not just to yourself, but also to them, because then they would not know where they can improve. Mm -hmm. So we designed a program and then we rolled out the program and then there was also a need to immerse points from that program into other hr programs as well so for example performance reviews you know mm-hmm. are you using the knowledge that you gained in the learning program and in your check-in conversations your you know weekly or monthly conversations that you have your one-on-ones that you have with your team members are you using the concepts that we discussed so again really important to to keep that practice on and also In some worlds, I've seen that, you know, L&D, along with other teams in HR and business, can create those practices where people can reflect and continually use the the concepts that they learn. So I feel like, you know, those those forming of those practices and deliberate practice is important.
0: Hearing all of these different ways to measure success and the nudges, I I love the paper airplane twos, the physical nudge they kept on their desk.
1: (laughs) Right. Thank
0: you. How would you like to see leaders measure the success of these programs in the future? What would be the ideal world?
1: Going back to how do we define the need? That's really important because the clearer the expectation of what the ask is, the better it is to deliver a product and the better it is to measure the success of the product or the, or the program that we launch. And how do you measure? And this has been... This has been a question that a lot of us want to answer and want to understand. So, you know, in my experience, we've used the Kirkpatrick model, you know, the one that has different levels, you can get zero-hour feedback, you can go back to the manager of the participant and check back, So, so various levels. So that's one, if you want to get to that basic framework, because I would say some of these practices do have merits. It is important to me. I do feel that, you know, measuring participation and also the trends This does give you some data point, Whereas I know that there's another school of thought that why do we need to track participation? I feel like, you know, it at least tells you that what is the show up rate and what's the interest in learning in this particular program? And then, you know, there are other ways in which we have to have a more integrated approach is what I feel. So, for example, you know, what does your engagement survey tell you about learning programs? Are people getting enough? Are they getting what they need? And even when you analyze the engagement surveys, what's the trend? So I have been in worlds where I've seen clearly from the engagement service that there is a need to develop our people leaders in certain aspects more than the others. And that's a great needs assessment right there. And then, you know, if you are able to move the needle with LD, also with engagement programs and initiatives, partnering with the business to address that. So together, you have moved the needle again L&D can't do it in silos because you know there has to be an integrated approach to moving the needle here then i also looked at you know metrics like exit interviews your company reviews that you get so i've been in worlds where the in the company reviews after people left or even while they are there they clearly say that you know oh there are great learning opportunities development is great you get to learn so much i feel that you know the leadership is invested in my development and it could be the other way around too. So again, what is it that you're culling out from your exit interviews, engagement surveys, company reviews, they also talk a lot and they give you those very important points to, to focus on when it comes to uh, learning and development. So yeah, you have the Kirkpatrick model. You also have other ways to measure what's been the success. But again, I do want to emphasize that, you know measuring the ROI of a program in silos is is difficult mm-hmm. so whenever it's you know a product training when i say product training i mean on more on the technical side i found it was easier to measure because you know you you do a product knowledge test and okay fine you know it's, then you score a little you transfer that learning and then you can see it but when it comes to softer aspects when it comes to power and the core skills as i call them. Mm-hmm it's harder to, to track. So I'd say an integrated approach is far better than just looking at, you know, hey, what's the ROI of this particular program on, on the business? Absolutely.
0: You mentioned different sort of technical versus core skill trainings. I'm curious if we're thinking about titles or seniority, if you will, of these participants, how does training shift for managers and emerging leaders versus senior executives?
1: What I've seen in my experience, whenever we consider training, rolling out leadership programs, there are different approaches. So, again, depends on the size of the company, depends on, you know, the appetite for learning, how much learning you want to roll out. So, see, like I shared for one part of our organization, we had done foundational skills for all people leaders. And then there was also a need that we do a little bit of segmentation and define what would be different learning paths for each of these levels. So, for example, for emerging leaders versus you know somebody who's uh, more experienced and higher up. So, yeah, I mean, for emerging leaders, and again, I'm including right from new managers up to three years. There are some you know core skills. So, for example, how do you delegate? How do you plan? How do you manage a team? How do you manage a former peer? You know, these are some basics that they need to know. And and typically, these are the capabilities that you would want them to. To develop. So again, you know, this is depending on what level. And then for senior leaders, it's again managing managers because that's a that's a very different skill than managing a team. So when you're managing managers and let's take the example of a VP and if they're managing different, you know, directors and senior directors, it's like managing people who are taking care of different functions and that's a very different ballgame. And I feel like even that for a new VP, it's as important to learn how to manage these experts as it is for a new manager who's learning to manage a team. But -hmm. that's because, you know, now you are dependent, dependent on different team members to take care of different functions. You're really getting out of your comfort zone and trying to manage different functions via smart people. So that's, again, a skill, you know. So I feel, again, it's similar in that fashion that, you know, you're new to managing people in this way. But it is different because, you know, you're managing people who are far more experienced and, you know, they're far more seasoned in what they're doing versus people on your team, if you're a new manager, who might be individual contributors. So again, what kind of skills, again, that needs to be defined. And in my past experience, what we've done is that, you know, we've made sure that there is a... There's a core bundle of offerings, which is given to all. And then there is, you know, depending upon the level. So, for example, the more senior people, they've gone into financial acumen, business acumen, managing a p P&L, strategic planning, managing managers, budgeting. So all of that aspect for those who are emerging again, you know, it's basic, like I would mentioned earlier also, it's, you know, giving, receiving feedback, coaching, delegation, all of that.
0: I have to ask, just given the times we're living in, I'm just curious with your experience, what do you think will be the greatest challenges facing leaders today as we navigate the ongoing pandemic and the transitions around that?
1: Uh, okay, challenges. Well, I feel like ch- if times are challenging, they're exciting too. There is an emphasis on learning now, I feel, in a very different way because. People are hungry to learn more. People are hungry to learn about how to manage change, how to manage burnout, health, wellness, well-being. These are some of the topics that I keep hearing every now and then. So challenges, well, again, you know, we don't have 100% classroom yet. So how do you get that component of meeting and networking back? Because, of course, you know, let's face it, it's very different when you meet someone, talk to them the way you would uh, gel and bond versus, you know, in a virtual setup. So that is a challenge. It also poses a lot of opportunity. You know, the opportunity that it has is now we can scale our programs. I'm a big believer of democratizing learning. So we can leverage technology to do that. So that Mm -hmm. makes me very excited, right? So uh, these are some of the exciting parts of the new world. The challenge I feel, again, you know, it's really about how do you bring that excitement and that component of a classroom feel in-person feel even if it's for different programs
0: how do you how do you get that back so that's one part i love that though it's hand in hand the excitement of the classroom may be challenging but i like your excitement of the democratization that could be available to us it's very true thank you so so a couple fun questions just would love to hear some of the things you're using so what are your go-to resources these days
1: yeah so go-to resources technology leveraging technology has been an important creative solution let me put it that way so we do have a learning content library that helps in providing people a learning resource anytime anywhere so we we have uh, some of these and it's very exciting because you know you can recommend videos you can recommend summaries and we attach that to any big event that happens so let's say you know if there's a, a big call that has happened if it's for all people leaders or if you know, there's something else we try and use these resources and try to put that in our newsletter. So that's what we do. I'll give you one example. So our CEO of the company, he had sent out an email saying, this was really early in the year saying that this is on my reading list. This is what I want to read. And I was like, okay, this is great. You know, he has that list. Now we have summaries to these books. We have some videos also that can, you know, be watched to learn more about these concepts and we put that in a newsletter to showcase it to people. So, you know, again, it's, it's leveraging technology to bring learning to people wherever they are, irrespective of geographical location, in-person virtual. So, yeah, that's what we've been doing. That's wonderful.
0: And if you could go back to the early leadership days in your career, when you first began taking on leadership responsibilities, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, that's making me think.
1: <laughs> I'd say learn the skill of, of when to be assertive, when to be silent and when to be aggressive. I think, yeah, choosing among these three wisely can help. And, and, and you know, I say this because at the start of my career, I was aggressive and then I got feedback, feedback and then I felt like, Over the years, I I lost my aggressive side. And somewhere, you know, I feel like, oh, man, when I was, you know, the way I was 15 years ago, that was much better. So, you know, so it's really about sharpening that skill of choosing silence, assertiveness, and maybe
0: sometimes being aggressive is important. Love those three. That's a really (laughs) interesting trifecta. And the the balance between them being sort of the connector is really good. Well, thank you. thank you so much for your time today and for sharing us more about your experience and also such interesting and good stories throughout your career. It's, it's been wonderful. Well, thank you. I'm excited for people to hear, yeah. Well, thank you, Chelsea. I enjoyed this, it was fun. Thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate you making time to speak with our listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.